0: I want to ask you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Philippians and also to 1 Peter. Those are the two passages we're going to be looking at uh, this morning in the message, the mind's security system. The mind's security system. Everywhere we go, we think about security. We think about safety. It is amazing that uh, 50 years ago, yesterday, we put a man on the moon and that we can figure out how to put a man on the moon, but we can't figure out how to make any city in America safe at night. We have the technology to do amazing things, but we don't have the sense to live the right way. When I travel, I'm oftentimes, or even if I'm in a business or a doctor's office or something else, Uh, I'll get on while I'm in the waiting room and, and check my phone and it'll tell me this is an unsecured network, which means it's an unsecured network, which means if somebody really wanted to go after the information on your phone, they could get it. But we still are so obsessed with looking at Facebook and at Twitter and at Instagram, we will risk our information security for five minutes of scrolling through things that won't matter one second after we're dead. It's amazing to me how little we think about security and yet we would say we think about security all the time. We lock the doors to our cars. We lock our doors in our house, we lock our windows, we, we lock the church. You know, used to be a day when, my, when I went to my grandparents' house, they didn't even lock their house at night. I mean, you know, it had a skeleton key, and everybody in town had a skeleton key, so it didn't do any good to lock the door, so you just left it open. And they'd go into town and leave their house open. Why? They didn't think anybody was going to take anything. Now you go to the mailbox and you set your alarm code just to get your house to the mailbox and back. When, uh, when we went on the medical sabbatical, uh, I installed security cameras on our house because I realized there'd be people all over this area that knew I was out of town for three months. And so I have security camera in the back and on the side and in the front, and if anybody comes up, it records for six months. So I just did that for security. So I wouldn't come back and find out my house hadn't been secure. And I have an alarm system. It lets me know. I have notifications on my phone. Some of you do this. I can tell when somebody comes to my front door and I can act like I'm inside and not going to answer it. Or I can act like I'm inside, pull a pistol out and say I am going to answer it. Either one, it doesn't matter. But we've got all of these things with security. We have security cameras all over this church. We have security that works this church. Why? You want to be in a safe place. You want to be in a safe place. But why is it that we want guards at our games, guards at our services, security in our house, neighborhood watch in our neighborhood, police and sheriff's department to be patrolling to keep us safe, but when it comes to our mind, we care nothing about securing that. And we just forget that the mind is the one area of our life that is under attack constantly. It is always being bombarded. And, and so you see uh, some verses there under this first point, the biblical calls for a security system, and you'll look at how many times this word guard comes up. God wants us to guard our minds. That last one, 1 Timothy 6.20, guard what has been entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 1.14, guard through the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Second Peter three, seventeen, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. First John 5 21, little children guard yourselves from idols. So what is God trying to say to us in his word? as we read his word, as we study it, as we memorize it, and we meditate on it, what we learn is God has given us a security system. It's the word of God. And it's the word of God with a double lock. The word of God with the Holy Spirit. And those two together Help us to be aware when attacks are coming on our mind, on our heart, on our lives, on our attitudes, on our relationships, wherever they are. We need to win the battle and we can't win the battle if our minds are in neutral. And so how do we keep our minds out of neutral? How do we not be a statistic? How do we uh, maintain a level Of intimacy with God and a renewed mind that when the enemy comes at us and hits us in an area where he knows we are vulnerable and he knows everyone's vulnerabilities. How do we identify these threats? Paul said, let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about being weird, he's talking about being focused to the point that you recognize when troubles are coming and when battles are coming. So look in your notes, what are some of the areas that left to themselves when we aren't on guard can pull us down? Let's just talk about a few of them. First of all, habits, habits. Habits can be good or bad. Uh, You can have a good habit, you can have a bad habit. Uh, You can have a habit that becomes bad. Uh, Whether it's exercise or eating or entertainment, or how much time you spend on your phone or on your computer or on TV or playing video games, uh, you can become obsessed by something. And, And this habit becomes, you think everybody ought to have this habit. Habits can be good, habits can be bad. Now it is good to eat cheesecake. It is bad to eat a whole cheesecake at one sitting. It is good to eat a hamburger and french fries. I I talked to a friend of mine the other day. I said, where are you going? He said, we're headed to Mellow Mushroom. I said, really? I said, I thought you were on a high-protein diet. He said, sometimes you got to have a carb. Proteins will kill you. (laughs) Habits can be good or bad. Jesus had habits. Jesus had a habit of going to the synagogue. Jesus had a habit of engaging in conversations with lost people. He had a habit of spending times with his friends. But what we have to do is look at our habits, what we do, and ask ourselves, do we need to stop this, start this, or moderate this? Because we can become obsessed by something. And is that habit under the lordship of Christ, or is it something that we do and we never evaluate how it fits in the total picture of our life? Secondly, relationships relationships guard our minds and have a security system in our minds about our relationships now we we should love our spouse and we should love our children and and we should love others but we should never make our spouse or our children our idol our god and and it is easy to do that you put something before god and then Anything that goes wrong in that relationship, you blame God because you put them as God. And so then you can't say, well, they messed up, so what you got to say is, God messed up. And you start reversing all this order in your relationships. Are your relationships under the Lordship of Christ? Have you got a security system in your dating relationship, in your ongoing relationships? Where are your barriers? Where are your boundaries? that lets you know, this is too far, I don't need to do this, I don't need to think that, I don't need to be seen alone with this person, it was the Billy Graham rule. Never be alone with another woman in a car or in a room by yourself. That would have saved a lot of people from a lot of headaches. A lot of people from a lot of headaches if we just obeyed that room. The only person I need to be alone in, in a room, is my wife or my daughters. But not with other people's wives and not with other people's children keep a high road of a security system how do we have all of these child abuse and child molestation situations in America is because there's not a security system in the hearts and minds of families and parents and we let things go without saying is this a secure network is this a secure network Is this a secure relationship that I can trust? Number three, prejudices. Now, by that, I don't just mean what you think about prejudices. But prejudices can keep us, you know, it's the way I was raised. Uh, Terry and I watched a a movie this week called The Best of Enemies. And it is a story of Durham, North Carolina in 1971 in in school integration. And they put this team together to try to solve the integration issue and it was the the African-American lady who was a leader of an organization called Operation Breakthrough for fairness in her community and the KKK president and they were the co-chairs of the committee. They had to learn a lot. It's an amazing story of how God showed a man filled with hate how he needed to love people and I mean you watch that movie, he is filled with hate. He makes me embarrassed by the hate that spews out of his mouth. That's not just the prejudice I'm talking about. I'm talking about the prejudice that thinks everybody ought to be like me. You know, that's prejudice. Everybody ought to have the spiritual gift that I have. Well then we wouldn't be the body of Christ, we'd just be the armpit of Christ. If everybody had the spiritual gift you have, what would this church be? I mean, If you don't have the gift of hospitality, we wouldn't have anybody friendly in this church. You know, well, I've got the gift of mercy. Well, somebody needs to tell you you're showing too much mercy. Well, what if there wasn't a prophet to tell you what's right and wrong? What if there wasn't somebody with the gift of evangelism? You see, we could get in our giftedness and think everybody ought to think and act like us. That'd get boring really quick. Or our interpretation of the Bible. Our interpretation of the Bible and so we start reading books and we put those books on top of our Bible and this book says this about salvation or it says this about spiritual gifts or it says this about this issue or that issue or that topic and we say that's what the Bible says and what we're doing is we're reading our favorite book and our favorite fallible author on top of the infallible Word of God. You filter your theology through scripture, not through the current best-selling book. The current best-selling book may be wrong. That guy is a best-seller because he's writing things that people like to read. The Bible is written to tell you what you need to read. There's a difference between writing to make people like you and sell books and writing to say, thus saith the Lord. You can be prejudiced about your point of view. Let me just give you an example. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. One of them didn't even believe in the resurrection. Jesus shows up and the Pharisees are offended because he hangs around with sinners. And he eats with publicans and tax collectors. I mean, what a terrible thing for God to do to love lost people. How dare him? The Pharisees thought Jesus was wrong and they thought they were right. You think any Pharisees would like to apologize for that opinion today? We still have Pharisees. We still have Pharisees in the church today who think, well, we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. We should never associate with lost people. How are they ever going to see Jesus? How are they ever going to see Jesus? Terry and I went to a party last night. There were about 60 people at it. We knew four people, that's it, we knew four people. Most of them don't have a clue that I am the pastor of this church. How are we ever gonna impact lost people if we're never around lost people? How are we ever gonna let people know that Jesus makes a difference in our lives if the only time that that seems to show up is when we're here at church on Sundays? Uh, Naaman, remember Naaman? Naaman had leprosy and so the prophet said go dip yourself in the river and he said man we got cleaner rivers in my country than you got here. Jordan River is not a clean river and if you've ever been in the Jordan River it's not a clean river. It is dirty, it is muddy and he said I need to go there and and, because you know why? He was prejudiced to think that the River Jordan wasn't as good as the river in his home country prejudice about what we think, what we feel, our backgrounds. Ambition and responsibility. Ambition and responsibility. Are my ambitions in line with God's will for my life? Do I take my responsibilities seriously? In other words, if I say, yes, I'm going to do something, do I do it? Am I a person of integrity? Do I do what I say and say what I mean? Have I prayed over what I do? Are my ambitions of God? Some people run from the will of God because they're afraid it's going to ruin their lives. And so their ambition is to go do this. And that's why some parents end up paying for five changes in majors. Because the kids can't decide what they want to do because they've never asked God. Lord, if my mind is your mind and my heart is your heart, what is it you want me to do? My dad wanted to be a, be a pharmacist. When I told him I was going into ministry, he said, well, if that's what you believe God wants you to do. Now, what if my dad had said then, I don't think that's what you need to do. I think you need to take over the family business. Then I would have been in conflict, but I got his blessings to do it. Responsibilities. Responsibilities. And assumptions and ambitions, material possessions. Have I got a security system around my material possessions? Do they own me or do I own them? By the way, as long as you're paying for them, they own you. As long as you're paying for them, they own you. I told Terry the other day, I saw this, this lease thing, and she came home and I said, honey, I said, we could lease that car right there. For three years, with seven thousand dollars down and eight hundred and sixty-nine dollars a month, and put twelve thousand miles a year on it, and turn it in with nothing to show for it—that sounds like a great deal. Till you drive it off the lot and realize what you just did. Do your possessions own you, or are they owned by the Lord? What, what about all your stuff? I mean. We've all got more clothes than we can wear. We've got more shoes than we can wear. Men, don't say amen about your wife's closet right now. Wouldn't be good because she's going to take one and hit you over the head with it. But uh, we've all got more shoes than we can wear. We've got more belts than we can wear. We've got more stuff than we need. We, we get the latest and the greatest, and then we don't know what to do with it when we've got it. And then we're not satisfied and then we go buy the biggest TV we could buy with. It's a smart TV. It's got everything on it we could ever want. It's got every channel we can subscribe to. And so then we go, I don't have to be on cable anymore. I can just subscribe to these 87 different specialty things and only spend $220 a month. So I can have Netflix and Hulu and Yahoo and Yippee and. <laughs> <laughs> all those other things. And then we get the TV, and we go, oh, this is great. Guys, this is us. Oh, this is great, man. The control. I've got the control. And then after about 15 minutes, we say something like this. There's nothing on TV. (laughs) Right? I mean, we scroll all the way through it. And then we'll scroll through it again, And it will still say, there's nothing on TV. But we got a big TV. Now, Tom Ellis and Jeannie did something that I hadn't gotten the nerve to do yet. Uh, I I mean, I've still got shirts in my closet that I bought eight or nine years ago, and I still rotate them in and everything. But Tom Tom and Jeannie had this policy. Uh, That's because he's way more spiritual than me. Tom and Jeannie had this policy because I went one day to a store and he said, hey, let's go buy a new shirt. I said, okay, so we we're up at the IMB doing a refresh conference and, and I think Mark, you were with me, or Ken was somewhere. Anyway, uh, and so we go into the store and Tom buys a new shirt. I didn't buy one. Tom says, well, I got to go home and figure out which shirt I'm going to give away. And I said, what? He said, oh, yeah, Jeannie and I have a rule. If, if she buys a new dress, she gives a dress away. If I buy a new shirt, I give a shirt away. That way we don't get cluttered. He said, see, when you've lived on a mission field and you've got five changes of clothes, you don't need all that stuff. And boy, it gave me a wild perspective. The stuff that we buy that we don't ever wear, it still has tags on it in our closets. Because we bought it because one day we're going to lose enough weight to fit in it or we used to weigh that much and, and when we get back to there after eating that whole cheesecake I talked about and then we're gonna wear it then and we just bounce around and before you know it the things we own own us. They own us. Fear. God's not giving us a spirit of fear but a power and love and a sound mind. Fear comes in a lot of ways. If you don't have a secure mind then the doctor's report or the financial report or today's latest stock market report, or your retirement portfolio, or all of those things are going to cause you to be driven by fear because you haven't built a wall of security. You don't know where your hope is. Past hurt, past hurt. Now this is a big one, because a lot of people never move forward and then their minds become open to all the attacks of judges, and being judgmental, and guilt, and resentful, and bitter, and angry, because somebody hurt them in the past. And the most that it does, it causes us to build walls. Somebody hurt me, I'll never let anybody hurt me again. And since somebody hurt me, and I don't want to be hurt again, I don't build relationships with anybody anymore. Past hurts, you cannot let past hurts control your life when God's word has said so much about forgiveness and forgiving others, the way Christ has forgiven us. So turn to Philippians, we're finally to Philippians, chapter four, and then we're gonna pick up Philippians four again at the end. Philippians chapter four and verse eight, I think you could write over Philippians 4, this is the firewall of faith. If you want a firewall in your mind, this is where it begins. This is where, when the attacks come, they need to bounce off of this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Two key application words, dwell and practice. Think about it and do it. Dwell and practice. If I dwell on these things and I practice these things, then the God of peace will Will be with me. That's the result. The firewall has kept this stuff from coming out that can pull me down. Paul says think, ponder, reflect on, get it in your head these truths, and then the result is going to be a continuous action of thinking, a present tense of thinking, always thinking, so that when the attacks do come in those areas that I mentioned all of a sudden you know how you're supposed to be thinking not how the world is telling you to think philippians 4:8 is god's grid to filter your thoughts number 3 the renewed mind is the greatest defense that we have john stott said the alternative to a renewed mind is conformity to the world now we're in 1 peter chapter 1 1 peter chapter 1 and verse 13 1 peter 1 in verse 13. We are called to bring our minds into harmony with the Word of God. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, in light of what he has said previously in the first 12 verses, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope. That's the difference between living in fear and fixing your hope. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now look in your notes. When our minds are being renewed day by day, it will result in us being able to do six things first of all recognize false teaching if my mind is being renewed if I fix my mind on him if I'm thinking if I'm dwelling if I'm pondering if I'm practicing the right things then I can recognize false teaching secondly I can stand against temptation Matthew 26 verse 41 Matthew 26 and verse 41, I can identify counterfeit experiences, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. Say, well, what do you mean by that? You remember that the, all the false priests in Exodus could mimic all the miracles that Moses was doing? The devil can confuse people with what appears to be miracles, and he can deceive. So I can identify counterfeit experiences. I can know the truth between that's a real work of God and a real move of God, and that's not a real move of God. It is one of the key things that happens in a season of revival is the devil starts coming in and imitating revival and giving false and weird experiences, and it takes discernment to know what God is really doing and what the devil is doing to get the move of God off track. It's a very important one. Number four, die to pride, Romans 12, verse three. If I'm focused where I need to be focused, I die to pride. I'll avoid apathy. My mind will stay keen and it will stay sharp and I won't be apathetic because I realize that every day God has given me an opportunity to stand on his word, to stand on his promises, and to live out his truth in this world. And then six, I will develop righteous habits. I will develop righteous habits. Develop righteous habits. Now, go back, look at 1 Peter 1.13, and I want you to write a couple of words in the margin somewhere. Now, they're there, but I want you to write it where you see it, where you know it, where you understand it first one is be prepared. Be prepared. When you read 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, there's some key be statements. Be prepared. Secondly, be steady. Keep sober, he says. Be steady. Don't be wavering. Don't be walking off the narrow path for the broad road. Don't, Don't get your mind out there in a fog somewhere. Be steady. Be hopeful. Be hopeful. Fix your hope on His grace. Be wise, verse 14. And then verse 15 and 16, be obedient and be holy. Be obedient and be holy. So if I'm prepared and if I'm steady and if I'm hopeful and if I'm wise, then it's not hard for me to be obedient and to be holy because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It's a natural overflow of loving Christ to keep his commandments. To be holy is a word, hagios. It means to be set apart, to be uniquely different. The temple was set apart. The tabernacle was set apart. We are to be set apart from this world that this world looks at us and sees that we have been renewed in our minds and in our lives by the presence and the person of Jesus Christ. So let's look at how programming your mind can change your outlook. Now we're back at Philippians 4, and we're just gonna go through these questions. And these questions deal with our conversations, they deal with our choices, they deal with our careers, and they all have consequences. Is it true? In the sense of being real and genuine, is it true? In the sense of being real or genuine. I remember a guy I grew up with, I never knew if he was telling the truth. He told so many lies, I never knew. When, when he got saved, I didn't know if he was telling the truth. He had lied so much that I didn't know if he was telling the truth. Is it honorable, worthy of honor, implying respect, this word relates to the word worship and refers to that which is valuable as opposed to that which is flippant or trivial. Is it right? Is it pure? That refers to moral purity and the absence of that which defiles us or contaminates us or corrupts us. Is it Pure. Is it lovely? Now that doesn't mean like my fair lady. wouldn't it be loverly? That's not what it means. Lovely is a word that's kind of out of season in our culture. What it, what it means simply is is it agreeable? Is it pleasing? Does it bring harmony? Is it lovely? Is it amiable? Does it foster peace? and unity. Is it of good repute? This comes from the word that means to speak well of. To speak well of. Do you realize if that wants? is it of good repute to speak well of? Do you realize if that was the standard by which you could speak in Washington, D.C., it would be a town of absolute silence? Because all we do in this culture anymore is run down other people and so if I'm being run down I'm gonna run down you and then I'm gonna run down you more and then you're gonna run down me and then we're just gonna say this and say that and you know my mom would have spanked me for the things that some adults are saying but it's become so much a part of our culture that now Christians are doing it and we're saying but I have a right to my opinion no you have a right to act like Jesus Hey, they ran Jesus down, and what does it say at his trial? He didn't open his mouth. Now, if the Son of God, sinless, can be rebuked, mocked, made fun of, dared, pushed, shoved, and beaten, and not open his mouth at his accusers except to say, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, who are we to think we're better than Jesus? Jesus. And we can go out and just say anything we want to say without consequences. I did an interview not long ago. I need to go back and take away some tweets that I did eight or nine years ago. But I did an interview not long ago with a guy, and he said, you know, I've gone through the past two years of your tweets just to see what you talk about. And he said, you, you never get involved in certain issues. And I said, I used to. But I don't anymore because it's not worth my time, my breath, and my energy because it's not eternal. And I want to spend my time, my breath, and my energy on that which is eternal. And I don't have time to get in a spitting match with an alligator. I'm not going to win. So is it right? Is it right? Is it of good repute? Is it excellent? By the way, this word excellent is only used four times in the New Testament here, and then Peter uses it the other three times. And and I, I like the way one person interprets this word. It rises above the mundane. Is it excellent? I like the way another person puts it. Does it have a long shelf life? Or has this got a short shelf life? Is it excellent? Am I thinking about, so that I can have the peace of God in my mind, am I thinking about the things that have a long shelf life? They don't have an expiration date. You ever go in in a store to just pick up something real quick and find out they're selling stuff that expires best if used by yesterday? If I'm going to think about things in in my mental security system, I've got to think about things that last long beyond the moment of what I'm dealing with. My wife has to say to me all the time, you need to stop worrying about that. You need to stop thinking about that. You need to stop letting that bother you. you got other things to think about. And so if I'm going to renew my mind, I have to think about what is excellent. That is, what is bigger than the nanosecond with which this will get attention. Can I just tell you, and I know some of you, this is going to just destroy your lives. I really don't care what the Kardashians are doing. I just don't. I don't care who the sexiest man in the world is on the cover of People magazine. I don't care about the magazine that sits at the newsstand that tells me what Prince Harry or Prince Andrew or their wives are doing. I don't really care because it has nothing to do with the world I live in in Albany, Georgia and the people that I meet and the places that I go. It has nothing to do with me being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world by worrying about that stuff. Is it excellent? Does it have a long shelf life? There, there's a verse, in, in uh, Philip's paraphrase. I love the way he does Ephesians 5.15. Live life, then, with a, dues, with a due sense of responsibility, not as men who are not who do not know the meaning of life but as those who do make the best use of your time can I see God approving this I mean somewhere in your mind there's a spam folder and if you do what you should do when things go to spam and sometimes things come in that you should empty that spam folder. You should go, wow, let me go through and look through those 99 spam messages I got yesterday and see if any of them are good because all of them are promising me uh, a house in Bermuda, uh, money, or they're telling me, you know, I- I'm getting one that uh, says your Delta sky miles are about to uh, go away, and I look at it, and the address on it has nothing to do with Delta. I got two phone calls Friday, within 20 minutes of each other. We have a warrant out for your arrest from the Social Security Administration. And so in the name of Jesus, I didn't push a button. I just said, jerk, and they they hung up. And I blocked those numbers. You know why? They're going to call me on another number, but at least they're not going to call me on that number because I've set my mind that I'm not going to let people have access to me that shouldn't have access to me that are trying to sell me lies and confuse me, and they are working the system every way they can to get your mind. So you've got to have a spam filter. you got to have a firewall. you got to get some antivirus. You got to know what to look for. And if it looks susceptible, you do what I do. I call Brian Kelly and say, can you get this checked out and tell me if it's spam?" But what I'm saying is, Brian, open it up on your computer and see if it's got a virus in it. That's called delegation. You see, just because it looks interesting doesn't mean you need to open it. An open mind is a dangerous thing because one day you'll open it up to the wrong thing or the wrong person, and then they'll have you. Do you have a security system? Do you have a way that you block? Do you have a filter at your home computer that your kids get on that you can set parental controls? You say, well, they can go around me. Then hire somebody to set up a system they can't go around. And don't make the password 1234 or A, B, C, D. I mean, make it something they won't think about. Think, think. Because the devil and the demons of hell and the evil of this world is trying every way they can to get to you and to get into you so they can hurt you or destroy you. Let's pray. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus today that you would give us minds with biblical filters, with biblical firewalls that we would learn how to think and to ponder in ways that are pleasing to you. Lord, it is so easy in the moment to lose our focus. And I ask you to help each person in this room to build that hedge of protection around their lives and their families, their homes and their careers, their future, by staying focused on you. We would be on guard. That we would never drop our guard. That We would realize that every second of our lives The enemy is working to play us. And what may look innocent at the moment may become deadly down the road. Lord, let us not justify that which cannot be justified. Let us not excuse and make excuses for that which you have given us clear instructions that we are to avoid it. May we with our minds and our hearts be your people in this world. For I pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.